0: Welcome in to the Solar Science Podcast. My name is Eric Saar. Today's going to be a little bit different, everybody, uh, because today we have, I have my guest Joel Brigham. Uh, say hi, Joel. Hey, buddy. How's it going? <laughs> Doing pretty good. Joel used to cover the NBA. Now he writes and he does some amazing things. I have some interesting questions for him about basketball and non. We're going to try to keep most of the basketball stuff uh, towards the beginning, so those of you listening for that can listen to that. And then we'll dive into a bunch of things towards the second half of the podcast. So why don't we start us off with how long were you were you uh, writing, uh, Joel, at Basketball Insiders and everywhere else?
1: Yeah, I started at uh, – actually, I started at Hoops World uh, before it was Basketball Insiders a long time ago. That was uh, 2006, I think, is when I started. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, uh, I retired from basketball in 2018. So it was 12 years, 12 years covering uh, – the Chicago Bulls, um, and then probably, I don't know, about nine or ten years covering the Indiana Pacers as well. Uh, I kind of live equidistant between Chicago and Indy, so I could just kind of go to whichever team had their home games on weekends and and clean up. So yeah, I did it for over a decade uh, working for Steve Kyler, uh, one of my favorite guys in the business for sure. Uh, I had a great time.
0: Yeah, I think I met you when we first, well, you were kind of not doing as much there, but a little bit. When I, when I joined Basketball Insider for that year, I think 2016, 2015? Around yeah, there. Around there. So yeah, that was yeah. when I got to meet you and I've loved it ever since. Um, uh, because we have very kind of similar minds in the sense of the curiousness, uh, the kind of energy, the uh, enthusiasm. So I appreciate that from you. Uh, I've also liked. Uh, I'm also a writer, just in general, not just basketball stuff, and so are you. And that kind of another reason we kind of gelled there. So we'll get into some of that stuff later. Um, the, one of the things we're thinking of talking about when we had this kind of on the books here is what was different uh, when you started versus when you ended, whether it's how to cover the game or the game itself.
1: Um, yeah, a lot changed actually, uh, in the time from when I started. Uh, so in, in 2006, I guess to kind of give you sort of like, uh, a sense of how I got into this, it was, it was all sort of by, by accident. Um, I used to read Steve's website. It used to be called, uh, uh, I can't, even, I'm not sure how i pronounced it, but like B S K com. Uh, and it was like a website he was just farting around with, um, you know, for a college project a long time ago. And, You know, Steve. If you guys read Steve or Basketball Insiders, he's got a great voice for rumors. Um, He's a very convincing guy, um, a very entertaining read, and he just sucked me in with a lot of these uh, these these trade rumors and stuff. And and so I I got to reading those. And back then, it was sort of a bloggy type website. Uh, It was all you know, unpaid kind of intern style work. And uh, what he wanted to do was he wanted to get a guy in every market um, who would write one article a week uh, just about the team they were passionate about. And, you know, for, for free, free freelance work, which, you know, you've, I'm sure you've done your fair share of freelance writing. If you're not getting paid, um, you know, it, it's hard to, uh, to count on your writers and people would come and go. So when the Chicago Bulls, who was my favorite team growing up, I grew up about an hour south of Chicago. Uh, when the, when the Bulls opening came up, I, I signed on. Um, I guess I should say I, I applied, uh, and I got that position for free. And about six months later, uh, you know, Hoops World was purchased by um, a, a group that was acquiring websites at the time that had good content, but not uh, necessarily great aesthetic representation and, and yeah. presentation. Um, and um, they wanted to start sending us all to, uh, to to games. And so I got a call from Steve um, before the 06-07, you know, basketball uh, NBA season, and he said, "I need you to go to media day." And I, I was not expecting it to ever be the kind of thing where you just go and, and actually cover games. Yeah, I thought we were just sitting at my computer. I, I live two hours from Chicago, you know. I, I thought I'd be at my computer, uh, kind of just hanging out and watching the games and kind of, you know, writing what I felt like writing about. And so that was a really cool opportunity. The, the Bulls had just signed Ben Wallace, which you know that was a big deal in 2006. Turned yeah. out to be a big headache, but um, I remember walking in there and just seeing all these guys I've been watching on TV. You know that year it was like you know Ben the, Gordon, the, right? Yeah, Ben Gordon and Luol Deng, Kirk Heinrich. Uh, it was it was that team. So that's the year before uh, Derrick
0: Rose got got drafted. Two years. Um, let's see
1: Derrick Rose was 08, got. Right? Was it '08? Maybe I think so. It was maybe two years before uh, Derrick got drafted. But I, you know, I was there for the Derrick Rose years too. I was. I was in the building when he tore his a c l oh. um I was in the building when he hit that bank three against lebron james oh yeah in, uh, game three of the eastern conference finals i mean i i i had um, i had some cool experiences in that building for sure um a lot of really great teams and a lot of teams that that weren't so great but you know as far as like your question you know what's what's changed um man so, I so mean, so much um there's certainly a lot more interest in the league, um, you know, uh, now than there was when I started. Um, at the very beginning, you know, I, I felt like kind of an outsider, which is, I guess, kind of ironic working for basketball insiders to feel <laughs> like an outsider. But, you know, a lot of the people who were covering games were beat guys, you know, they mm-hmm. were newspaper guys. And and Hoops World at that point was trying to kind of break into that space and to be considered like a legitimate, um, you know, news breaking resource. And, you know, we had guys that, obviously, you know, Hoops Hypes, uh, Alex Kennedy started with us, you know, he's a big newsbreaker yeah. uh, and certainly was for us. You know, we had some guys that were doing some really cool things. Um but, you know, there weren't a lot of blog type um uh you know media folks covering those games and, and so I, I did notice kind of as the years went on, um, you know, teams were credentialing, you know, more and more blog type uh people, you know, toward the end, like more and more Twitter personalities, mm-hmm. you know, not even like writing Long-form stuff necessarily, just guys who had a, a good following on Twitter, and and because that's the way that the game has gone as far as like media, um, you know, exposure and stuff. So yeah, I would say that more coverage um, by by more types of outlets, and I think at the same time, what I saw uh, over my time is is you know players kind of pulling back in how much they want to speak to people because um, that that's a, when you get more people covering teams and. You know, the sad reality is that in some cases, these aren't all necessarily people with journalism majors yeah. you know that um you know you, you, there's players that have gotten burned um saying you know an open, honest comment to someone who doesn't necessarily um always know uh, whether or not they should print that comment um and they get burned by that and so I, I definitely saw players kind of pulling back, restricting access, you know hiding in the weight room during pregame media sessions where you know when I first started. Uh, most of the team would be in the in the locker room. You mm-hmm. know, I remember covering Bulls games. Like I, I could walk up to Kevin Durant and his first year or two and have a full conversation, just me and Kevin Durant. I, you know, Chris Paul talked to Chris Paul for, you know, and you could talk to these guys just one on one pregame mm-hmm. sometimes. And 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 I mean, if you're covering games now, you know, like that's impossible. That's yeah. never going to happen. So it's hard. Uh, yeah, it just changed. You know, with the, with the with the social media boom and um, with sort of the you know omniscience of blogs. Um it it changed the way I, I think people ended up, you know, covering games and it changed the way I think players maybe saw the people um in the locker rooms. But um I loved every single minute of my twelve years covering the league and had a lot of fun doing it.
0: You had to quite quite get the get the uh, covering of the game just because mostly more of a uh, physical thing for for me to be able to get to the games and get all around that. But I was so right. able to I think it was yeah, I think definitely people are wary. I was able to one when I did cover it one time. Talked to Goran Dragic in the locker room. He was the only one there. Everybody else was trying to hide, uh, but Dragic was out there. Uh, we got to talk to him for, for a bit. Uh, so that was nice. I think also since you, from 2006 to now, really analytics and kind of along with the blog has yeah. become more prevalent. Um, not yep. in this setting. And analytics, especially in like NBA circles, has just a huge weird connotation where it goes lots of different ways. Um, but I think that it does have more prevalence, more uh, deeper, people trying to be more curious. Uh, not just team side or um, okay, we're ESPN. Let's let's decide, d- dive dive into this. It's everybody trying to back up their points with more data than uh, rings or something like that.
1: Yeah, and I definitely so the the kinds of statistics that I used to write about, you know, sort of as support for like an argument I'm making about you know player A is better than player B. Like the kinds of stats that I had to use over the course of those twelve years changed a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Like in 2006, to you know, I mean, I, I could use like points, rebounds, and and you know, and by 2018, you're talking about like true shooting percentage and and plus minus and and there's all coming. Oh my gosh, I can't. There's all kinds of advanced statistics that, to be honest with you, kind of got kind of got beyond me. You know, like mm-hmm. this. So like you know, Ben Dowsett, who covers the Utah Jazz, um, you know, was was someone who was a contemporary of mine at Basketball Insiders, and I would read Ben stuff. And he just seemed to understand all those statistics and and how yeah. they worked, and it just was sort of beyond me. You know, I'm I'm an English teacher by day. You know, I, I didn't do the math thing. <laughs> I avoided math in college. You know, at all at all costs. <laughs> so um, to see the game kind of go that way, or at least to see, I guess, like in depth analysis of the players go that way, mm-hmm. um, I, I had to kind of divert the way I was I was you know writing articles toward the end. So I I guess I sort of changed more. You know. Well, guys who cover the league now are either really deep into analytics, um, or they are newsbreakers, so they've got sources, um, or they're sort of like personalities, you know, storytellers. They're, yeah, they're they're fun to read, right? They have a good voice. Um, they can get good stories out of players, and they can relay those in a way that's entertaining to read. And so, I had to kind of step away from the from the analysis that just wasn't my strength, and kind of focus on you know some of that that voiceier stuff. You know, kind of write like. Buzzfeed style listicles um, hmm. that was sort of I, I had a lot more fun writing those kinds of articles um, than trying to delve into the advanced stat stuff yeah that that's that's hard to do and I respect the heck out of people that can write those articles. I love reading that stuff, and like I said, people like Ben can break those down in a way that makes complete sense, but man from my end, just trying to break it down into to sort through all that data that nBA makes available and that you know a lot of third party sources make available it's just yeah, that was just not something I was ever going to be interested in, in doing. Not that I don't see value in those stats. It just wasn't for me as a, as a writer to try and tackle that. That was outside of my comfort zone.
0: I always liked the stats. I thought I, I could usually do pretty good uh, corralling those. Although, because I kind of always wanted to, and probably still, I definitely still do, want to be a coach at some point, at some level. I think the analysis of that and how to make, because I've done it at the, the very lower levels, right? Like, it's it's fun. And it's a, it's a whole different mindset. I'm doing it um and then p- this, this something that fans don't usually seem to understand is how to motivate how to do those kind of basketball right. people thing right, or understand right. the x to the nose nearly enough
1: yeah, totally fair, totally fair, and that's yeah that's some that's a whole other side of the game, I guess that uh you know fans from the outside. You know, you're you're asking yourself like why does Coach A do this? Why does Coach B do this? Why don't they pull so and so? And you know, it's not it's not just about the the metrics, right? I mean there's a there's a human side to coaching um and to working with these players that goes beyond just um we you know what the numbers say, you know, mm-hmm. that what the owners want plays into it, you know, what they're getting paid goes into it, um, you know, certain egos of guys and what they need to be successful goes into it. Finding guys' rhythms goes into it, um, you know, getting guys' rest goes into it. Like, there's so much that goes beyond those advanced stats that, that matters from, like, a coaching and a team management aspect. So, yeah, you're 100% right about that.
0: For sure. And so over the course of the time, how do you feel the NBA itself has changed and not as a stepping as away from how we cover it?
1: Um, I mean – the the big news stories right now, I guess, are um, you know how much more uh, offensive minded it is, uh, and and how the league rewards you know offense a lot more than they used to. And as someone that grew up watching, you know, the Chicago Bulls, you know, bump up against the New York Knicks in the uh, in the early '90s, that was yeah. kind of my childhood watching those teams. Right, like it's we're in a very different league from from then. Uh, and I remember, you know, when the Bulls drafted Derrick Rose, you know, part of my excitement as uh, as, as a Bulls fan, you know as I as I tried to bottle up the fandom, you know, as you're covering games. But mm-hmm. as a Bulls fan and as someone covering the team, I, I thought I remember thinking at that time, like the rules were were bending more toward those sort of explosive athletic point guards, right? Mm-hmm. Like you had those back to back Steve Nash uh, MVP seasons, which you know you're you're a Suns podcast, like you remember those vividly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's you know that that Mike D'Antoni. That running gun, um, that up speed, that up tempo, Um, and you saw some of the rule changes with like hand checking uh, get removed, right? And so, so guys can um, you know penetrate more easily and draw contact and create you know, and 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 then you know obviously from that, as you have these these younger guys, the young guys, these faster guys um, getting into the lane, and defenses having to collapse. You know, that's where you sort of saw, like, the stretch four become mm-hmm. popular, right? And you have bigs starting to shoot threes. Like, when I started, bigs were not shooting threes in 2006, right? Like, that was not happening. Um, and now it's almost like, what's the point of drafting a traditional, like, you know, a traditional Ben Wallace type? Like, yeah. who's drafting who's drafting a six-foot-nine center uh, that can't shoot and, you know, is atrocious at the free throw line?
0: Yeah, you know, that's Draymond Green, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Draymond but, but Green, Draymond, he has way more other things to bring to the table. Yeah,
1: Draymond Green can shoot threes. You know, Draymond Green can I mean, he he can do some things offensively um that that you know Ben Wallace never could. Yeah. But but you're right though. Like you I mean, you look at and Draymond Green was a second round player in part because I think of that being the the way, you know, his optics were yeah. that he he wouldn't be the kind of, you know, four that the league was kind of trending toward. And and for a couple of years though Draymond Green had some success kind of Working outside of that outside of that trend, but yeah, just like just the the you know the, the rules that allowed quick guards to penetrate, and then the the three point shots, the the three and D guys, um, the stretch fours and stretch fives that kind of resulted from that. Um, you know, you, you you see those things kind of come out of these rule changes to the point where, you know, you have. The video game Golden State Warriors and and the Houston Rockets, like just doing all kinds of insane record breaking things offensively. I mean that's a direct result of some of those minor tweaks and adjustments that happened over time. So yeah, I think the game just changed from being sort of slow and plotting um, to uh, I think using those advanced metrics more and uh, and getting uh, a lot more offense cooking. You know that's that's been the biggest change.
0: Yeah, the pace is definitely for sure. I mean playing points for possession and continues to or. Possessions per game continues to go up as people go faster uh, yep. on all this. Um, I think that uh, yeah, I got so went faster. I would like to see the uh, continuation roll back into effect a little bit. Um, I think it's kind of gone away there. I mean, they're everything's on the floor, right? And I think it, part of it's sort of due to that uh, the Durant uh, a rip through and the Harden rip through. Um, yeah, I'd like to see it come get, get split the difference, right? Still on continuation, like Booker continues to not get continuation on some stuff. Harden got it, but Harden did get a ridiculous one the other day where he accidentally got a loose ball, didn't have even control of it, and got the three free throws. That was confusing.
1: Well, um, this, is what, this is what Steve Kerr said the other day was that, you know, we need to stop calling fouls that people would laugh at on the playground, right? Yeah. Like, that's where we are. It, it, the, the game. I mean, I don't want to say the game's gotten soft, but, like, the game is softer than it used to be. Yeah. And I'll say, I'll say this, too. It's another way the game has changed um you know over the last 15 years or so is that you've seen a lot of these kids come up um in the kind of they call it like the aau culture yep. where um these you know i i the last probably five or six years working for basketball insiders i was able to cover um the mcdonald's all-american game every year it was mm-hmm. in chicago and then the last year I, I covered it was in atlanta and i i talked steve into paying, paying for my trip to atlanta cool. for that um but like i'd always done that that event and those kids, like, at 17, 18 years old, they've been best friends since they were, like, 9 or 10, right? right? And this is all the top elite prospects. And so now, you know, unlike when I first started where there was a lot of bad blood between certain franchises, like, right now, everybody knows each other. Yeah. Like, they're all best friends their whole lives, and, and the league is full of guys who who grew up that way. There's no more, like, old-timers who, uh, you know, are are, are – having all kinds of nasty feelings about each other. Now that's, I'm talking in extremes. Like there's, there are guys that can't stand other guys. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying more the culture in general has shifted more to like this AAU vibe where people come up just, they are totally best friends. Um, or, they're
0: the, f- or they're from Europe.
1: Or they're from Europe. Yeah. Or, or you know what? Africa. South America. They're, or they're from Greece and they can come from Greece. If they're going to look like, you know, Giannis looks like they can come from Greece all they want to, but yeah. If
0: they get the, in the way room.
1: Right. Yeah. I think, well, and, and, he certainly has done that for sure, yeah. but I mean, yeah, the game has gone. The game has gone more global. I, I, you know, I remember I had a talk with uh, with, with Steve one year at the draft about Kristaps Porzingis, mm-hmm. and I wasn't I wasn't buying it. Like at that point, I thought like these Euro guys, just you know, I'm thinking of like Nikola Skidishvili and like you know these guys that absolutely you know Bargnani, totally, you ruined everything. Yeah, Bargnani, Darko everything. Milicic, like guys that like totally bombed, and I'm like I'm not buying this and. And really, that Portzingus was sort of the a tipping point for, I think now you see more top Euros hit than miss, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how it's like every top Euro, oh, this is the guy, this guy's the, and sure enough, like that guy ends up being a stud, um, you know, in, in the mm-hmm. league. So that shifted for sure. Scouting's gotten better too, you know, and I, it, it, so much has changed, right, for the better. I, I sound like an old man complaining about the way things used to be, but I mean, the game's a better game and, and the league's a more fun league and... There's just there's no sport like it. To this day, there's no sport like it.
0: Well, I guess also just kind of brings us the little out of uh, feeling, uh, praying, and for David Stern's family and everything as he had right. passed away with the commissioner for thirty years, I believe. Um, yep. I mean, from the the things I've heard, because obviously it wasn't alive during some of this, but he brought it from NBA finals games being tape delayed to billions of dollar contracts for TV deals. Um, give me some of your thoughts on him as a commissioner. As well as how we brought the game into the 21st century.
1: Sure. So I I tweeted this out a couple of days ago, but like you know, I, I've always people who know me, I, the NBA draft is like my favorite part of the year for, yeah, for, for basketball. I just I love the drafts, um, and I remember the first draft I ever watched, I think was what year was Penny Hardaway and Chris Webber? Is that is that '93? '93.
0: I was in 96 or 5, but yeah, you're probably right. No, not
1: 96. I think it was 93, 94. I was like 4 um, years
0: old. I, I do not know.
1: <laughs> okay. Shaq was 92, and I think Penny was 93. Anyway, um, I was like 11, and um, my buddy had a birthday party that night, and uh, you know, it's like a slumber party, and so me and my like 4 or 5 best friends were, you know, we played Tecmo Super Bowl for a little bit, you know, and then we turned the draft on, and I remember thinking like, whoa, you know, all these guys are going to be on new teams, and it – the, the idea of like them wearing new uniforms and and you know uh just totally altering um the the, the fortunes of these these franchises was really I, I loved the whole the whole mystique around it and the grandiosity of like always at these big events and um yeah it' was not such a big deal and you know David stern was always the guy right he was mm-hmm. the guy running the show and and that's when I was introduced to David stern and it got to where every year um i would i would you know get so excited that the draft was coming around i used to tell my wife like uh you know uh, the day before the draft is like christmas eve for me like when you're a kid and you get butterflies in your stomach i really loved it that much you know uh and so uh yeah I, I watched every minute of every draft from like age 11 um until you know david stern retired um and i still watch him you know i still watch every minute of him uh and so i just i he's just he's so entertaining uh in, in those situations i know he was responsible for um making the draft lottery a thing in the first place mm-hmm. that was him who did that um i guess the the most quintessential david stern story for me is when i think about you know magic johnson and the way he handled mm-hmm. magic johnson having contracted HIV, um, I think it was 1991. And, you know, Magic retired in in 91 because of HIV. And you've got to understand that, like, at that juncture, people didn't really understand how HIV, um, you know, was was passed around. Mm Like, there's a really famous Eddie Murphy uh comedy skit that in retrospect is is not very uh you know very woke as it were but <laughs> you know I, and and I you know that's that was sort of the attitude like around that era I mean and and what David Stern did for Magic Johnson was um you know that that next season um Magic was not on the all-star ballot um but he got written in by fans fans wrote in Magic Johnson Uh, To play in the All-Star game, and Stern was all for it. He let it happen, Uh, and not only that, but he put him on the Dream Team that next summer. Which you know, the Dream Team is—you want to talk about why we've got all these, uh, you know, amazing international players in the NBA right now? It's because the Dream Team came over, uh, you know, to Barcelona in 1982 and just completely changed basketball for the entire globe. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, his his, you know, the human response to. Um, you know, getting Magic Johnson back around the game through a really hard time um, in his life, I, I thought was sort of the quintessential him. But I mean, this is the guy that that brought the you know put the D League on the map. This is the guy that um, you know established the WNBA. Um, you know, he made the game the game go global. Um, mm-hmm. There's just so many major things that that he accomplished. And you know, as much as Commissioner Silver is is a great guy, I mean, you look at everything that Stern did, it's hard to argue that he's not the, the greatest commissioner the league's ever had.
0: Yeah, or most most leagues have ever had. I, sure. my, my only really thought on this, because I, I haven't really wasn't alive for a lot of it, wasn't covering it, I started covering the league in maybe 2011, we'll say, right sure. after they lost Nash. It was fantastic. I love how, like, since I've been covering the Suns, they've been terrible. Um, they're better this year a little <laughs> bit. We'll see. Um, I would say probably my only thought on this is that I think Adam Silver and David Stern... Were the perfect commissioners for the time that they were commissioner. It's like perfect. Sure. that's what Right. I, I
1: agree. I agree. And yeah, and Silver's been really um, open to. Um, I, I think, like I said, you know, uh, Eddie Murphy's delirious isn't all that woke, but Commissioner Silver seems like he's pretty woke most of the time. You know, like he's not. He's on top of uh, what's the best thing, uh, not only for his players but like, you know, for human beings in general. He, he seems to want to do the right thing. Um, and not that certain didn't, but but Silver seems very you know very sensitive to uh, to what what's the right thing to do for the league and for the people who who watch it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's let's transition a little bit here. To um, well, we already kind of talked about all the basketball stuff. I th- feel like we're kind of coming up on that. Let me just make sure here. Did you have any the, the last thing about basketball here is what is the most interesting story you covered while in those twelve years?
1: Oh my gosh. I mean, Derek's, Derek's ACL tear was, was definitely something mm-hmm. um, just, cause, Which just one? cause you could feel the way that that changed the entire trajectory, not only of the bulls, but maybe the NBA in some ways. I mean, Derek, Derek getting drafted. So the bulls had, I believe the ninth best odds to win the top overall pick in 2009, um, and they got the first pick anyway, just in time to draft like this hometown kid. And mm-hmm. I remember going to like Derek's opening press conference and like, there's a, there's a red rose on every, uh, media member seat. You know what I mean? I still have that rose mm-hmm. somewhere. Um, I mean the, the all those, all those were, were great. Um, but the ACL tear was just the the polar opposite of that. I mean, I, being in the building for that, it was a playoff game against Philadelphia. And, and when he kind of dropped down that non-contact injury, Um, the sound of like 25,000 people saying nothing like that, that kind of silence in that building was, I mean, it was, it was, it made you sick to your stomach. It was unsettling, you know? Mm. Um, and, and I remember kind of running down and watching him be carried to the x-ray room. I was down in the tunnel. I wanted to kind of see where they were taking him and if he was limping and what he looked like and stuff. And you just knew, like we all knew that was, that was it. And um, you know, from there uh, later on, you know, the, the next season when he could have come back, or when a lot of fans expected him to come back, mm-hmm. or other other guys would have been cleared, um, you know, he chose to sit out the, the rest of the season and yeah. um, kind of alienated some of Chicago's fandom a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. Chicago went from supporting their native son to kind of turning on him a little bit, and yeah. and, and you know, it was the, the next couple of years to see Rose kind of, um, I don't know feel i guess disenfranchised from his city was that was a real story you know and to to end up in new york and minnesota and now detroit um and you know he's still serviceable as you can see but it just you think back it's just one of those it's one of those big what ifs what could have been um you know if uh if, if derek would have stayed would have stayed healthy you know uh that that was i think the quintessential story of of my time covering you know chicago uh for sure um but you know as far as like my my best story probably was the time I was at a after party in 2009. The, I was I was in Phoenix with the all for the All Star game and uh, me and Steve and Bill Ingram used to cover the Houston Rockets. Um, we are at some party at some hotel and it's it's a rooftop with a you know a pool. And there's like a little stage set up and there's drinks and and so I, I you know I walk through like there's Alonzo Mourning and oh there's Donald Faison you know Turk from Scrubs and wow. and and I'm like okay this is cool you know so I go get a drink and I'm standing there and we're waiting for whoever this band is to come out um there's maybe like 200 people at the party you know so Steve and Bill and I are kind of we're shooting the breeze by the stage and um the the concert was Katy Perry you know Katy Perry kind of walks out um and it, it, I, I kissed a girl that had just come out so she was new that's why it was just a like, little party super new yeah Super new, so I'm I'm watching Katy Perry, and then I look over and I see um, Zachary Levi standing by himself. Oh wow! And if he knows, yeah. Zach, he is he was doing a show called Chuck. I love then. Chuck. Was, that's a great show. Yeah, yeah. He was um he was in the uh, celebrity game, and so oh, he's standing great. by himself. And I'm like, see, I'm gonna go talk to this guy. I think I know who he is because at, uh, at the time, um, you know, I was a big Chuck fan too, and so I went over and, and I I uh, introduced myself and. And uh, said who I was, who I wrote for, and he he said, oh, you know, who are you again? And I said, Joel Brigham with with Hoops World. He goes, I totally know who you are. No, I, yeah, he's like, I, I read you guys' website all the time. I love Hoops World. Um, and That's so amazing. Um, I'm like, so what are you doing here by yourself? And he's like, well, I'm friends with the with the singer up there with with Katy Perry. I'm here to watch her. And I'm like, cool. So I sat and talked with Zachary Levi for like you know half an hour, and he was just all by himself, and he was the friendliest guy. And so yeah, Zach Levi and I watched Katy Perry together. Uh, you know, at a very, very small stage at a Phoenix party, it was, it was, it was pretty wild. So yeah, I've, I've got a picture of me and Zach Levi together. Uh, you know, I'm very fat in that picture, and, and Zach looks great. But uh, yeah, he would go on, and you know, my my daughter's favorite movie when she was little was uh, was a Disney movie called Tangled, mm-hmm. uh, where Zach voices the the, the prince Flynn Rider. Mm -hmm. Uh, in that one so she always thinks that's really cool but I just think of it as like you know it's me and Shazam you
0: know me and Shazam that is an amazing story I love it Joel that's a great story Um, oh
1: man that's so good
0: I don't okay so that will complete our little basketball side here of this Um, and then we have a perfect question that actually you kind of gave up here which is uh, what how did covering the league translate to writing novels
1: so okay so um, as I said I'm an English teacher Um, you know, by, by trade. That's even when I was covering uh, the league all those years, um, I was, I was teaching high school English. Um, And like I said, I would just kind of cover the games on the weekends. And, um, you know, throughout that time, like I, have always been really interested in young adult literature. So if you don't know what young adult literature is, it's, you know, it's, it's books that are written for high school age kids. Right. So um, I think it's easy to think about those books as being things like, you know, Twilight and, the Hunger Games, and yeah. you know those kinds of things. But you know, books like uh, like The Fault in Our Stars. Yep. Um. That's 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 YA too. Um. You know, The Hate You Give is technically YA. Um. So I got really into this idea of of you know reading a lot of books that were meant for high schoolers because that's really those are my those are my coworkers every day, right? That's I spend most of my waking hours with people between the ages of 16 and 18 years old, and so, um. You know, I remember vividly what it was like to be that age and. And, and so I, I, I read those books a lot, especially, you know, driving two hours to Chicago or two and a half hours to Indy. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a lot of audio books in the car. Right. So um, I, I did all that. And in, in 2017, um, I used to go to this conference uh it's the National Conference for Teachers of English. I always tell my friends it's my nerd conference. <laughs> um, and, and you know, uh, when you're there, they give away a bunch of like free books that are coming out in the next year, and um, all the you know all the best you know YA authors are there signing books and stuff. And so in 2017, um, as I was kind of mulling around the idea of like maybe retiring from from, from Basketball Insiders, um, I, I'm in line to meet Angie Thomas, who's the uh, the author of The Hate You Give. Uh, her book had just come out and um I, I get to the front of the line. It's this crazy long line. Uh, I finally get up there and, and Angie's just like Angie by the way, who is a Angie's a Thomas, the author of Hate You Give, is a huge, uh a huge fan of the NBA. She's a mm-hmm. New Orleans Pelicans fan. Um and it's it's funny to see her tweet about the the because the uh the cross section between people who like to read young adult literature and who like the NBA. It's a very small cross section, no, like... right? who is that it's you it's it's me me? yeah it's me and angie thomas and this author named jay coles uh not to be confused with jay cole but jay coles um who wrote a great book um (laughs) called tyler johnson was here um and um so um i get to angie and uh and she's just like got this grin on her face i mean her book has just blown up you know in the course of like a year she was just she was like a, a woman from mississippi living in a little house with her mom um, and she writes this book, and and it just changes her life, right? And there's all mm-hmm. these educators who are in line to talk to her about, um, you know, what her book meant to her, what to them and to their students. And I'm looking like, man, like I don't know that I need to be like Angie Thomas, you know, successful, but how cool would it be to to write something that was was meaningful on that level, right? Mm-hmm. And as much as I loved covering the NBA because it was fun and because I grew up you know, watching the bulls and being a huge basketball fan. Um, you know, it's not like when you're covering the NBA, like you don't feel like you're, you're changing people's lives, right. Necessarily. Um, uh, it's, it's fun, but it's not, it didn't always feel meaningful to me. And, and this idea of, of writing books for kids felt really meaningful to Mm -hmm. me. And, um, I had some ideas I've been kind of mulling around, but, wasn't really ever sure that I could I could do it. Um, and I just sort of put myself into, you know, reading craft books about writing fiction, um, you know, joining some communities online of, of other writers, um, you know, following agents and editors and, and authors on Twitter and interacting with them, um, not being shy about that. I kind of got to realize, and this is to answer your question, but I got to realize that um, I don't know that, that I mean, that the process of writing, um, you know, sports journalism and and fiction it's not it's not that different. And mm-hmm. you know, what I learned in, in all those years covering the league was, you know, how to take criticism from editors, yeah. right? Like let's hey. take this slant instead of this slant and to be humble about, you know, when I've done something wrong or, or about a way that a piece could be improved, right? Um that's that's one major thing that I was able to take away and, and you take away like writing for an audience, right? I, I yeah. know a lot of uh or first time authors who Um, they have a really hard time taking criticism when people don't love their book. And Eric, I know for sure, like, you know, if you're, if you're you're writing and publishing stuff about the NBA, like people are going to be pretty nasty. Like the, the sports Twitter, uh, they can be pretty nasty when they disagree with something you've written. Right. And yeah. And so to have 12 years of calluses about like, Oh God, I could care less what people think about what I write. um, That's important too. Right. And when you're getting, you know, maybe some bad reviews and, or you know maybe some uh, some some readers don't necessarily love what you're putting out. Um, I'm, I'm saying all this as though I'm published. I, I'm not. I'm not yet. Um, I did just get an agent uh, in November, uh, which was a huge step in the right direction for me. Uh, my my second manuscript landed me an agent, a woman outside of Chicago uh, named Tina Schwartz, uh, who's now currently shopping my book to publishers. So yeah. like yeah, it's cool. I mean I, I'm in. I'm I'm on the right track. Um, Getting an agent does not guarantee that your book sells, but, um, but for sure, like I, I just I, I look at all that those experiences of just getting in the habit of writing every day, right? And getting mm-hmm. in the habit of writing longer stuff, and getting in the habit of of writing and then editing and and editing three times and then proofreading and and knowing it's going to be in front of an audience and the pride you take in making sure it's right for that audience, like. All those skills really translate um, to to writing fiction. The the physical writing part isn't all that hard. It's just a matter of like, do you have a story you can tell, and 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 you develop your voice too over all those all those years. I got really comfortable to, to the point where I think by the end you could read a Joel Brigham article and kind of know it was a Joel Brigham article. And that sounds like really pretentious because like I'm, it's not like I was getting picked up by ESPN or anything to to write for them. But um, I mean, people that followed the site and people that that read me. Um, I mean, they they knew when one of my my articles went up because they were a little silly and a little funny and uh, sports can take itself you know a little too seriously yeah. sometimes and and uh, I think that's kind of the same tone I've taken in my book. I got really comfortable with like my voice as a writer um, and all that's kind of I I think come to uh, come to a head in what I'm trying to do with these books.
0: Very cool. As you and I have I'll just give my side of this as well as you and I have talked about. I'm writing a book. I'm not quite where you are, but obviously right. it's more. Um, that self help kind of type thing, uh, stories of my life and kind of how what I've learned so far it's very interesting to, from me, for my point of view. We'll see what everybody else thinks. Um, but then that, but also I think in the future down the line I'm going to write a mystery novel too. I think I love the Who Done It's and the Agatha Christie type stuff. Oh yeah. And I'm I can't wait. I, re- I read a book one time in the library back when I was a kid on how to write a mystery novel, and it just mm-hmm. piqued my interest so much. So I'll probably write a couple of one or two of those down the line.
1: Yeah. And you know what? Like, I think everybody wants to write a book. I mean, we've all got like a book in us. And mm. and we've talked, you know, we're Alex, uh, you know, uh, Eric and I are, are in the same fantasy football league um, with, uh, you know, Alex Kennedy and Oliver Maroney and Lane Green and it's the basketball insiders, you know, fantasy football league that we've had for a it's few amazing. years. Yeah, and it's it's full of guys that used to work for basketball insiders. A few still do. Uh the the Blanc Carte brothers, um, mm-hmm. and Shane Rhodes and guys like that. But um and you know all those guys have talked about oh i've got i've got a book in my pocket like i've kind of worked on a little bit or i've got this great idea and and everybody always says that i mean and, and i said that for years and years as mm-hmm. i was you know covering the nba and and pouring all my my writing energies into covering the league and that was a major motivator that angie thomas experience um in 2017 um was kind of like the tipping point for me uh to where i thought I've only got so much time in a day as a teacher, uh, as a father of two children, um, you know, at, with a full-time job and papers to grade and all this other stuff. Um, I've only got so much time in a day to write. Do I want to write basketball or do I want to write novels? And it was a real question. I didn't know the answer. But mm. but meeting Angie um, and, and just going to that, that nerd conference, NCTE, every year and seeing all those authors – interacting um you know with with all these these educators um and seeing how my students respond to books they love I just thought I think I want to write books and I was I was truly shocked at how easy it came uh to get you know 70,000 words uh into into a book I wrote my first novel which is is not it's in a it's in a drawer as it were um but I wrote that first one in like five weeks you know Mm -hmm. I just it it flowed out of me like uh, like, like it had been dammed up in my soul for for 15 years, you wow. know. And so, um, I think for those that want to write books, I, I mean, or write at all, write about basketball, anything. I mean, the the best way you can do that is is to read, read, read. Um, people that do it well, right? People that you admire, people that you like. Um, find out who the masters, who the experts are, and read what they do to get a sense of how it works. And then, and then buy craft books, go read articles online. There's so much out there that mm-hmm. that walks you through how to structure things. Um, you know what the process is for getting something published, how to go about it. Um, you know, just just read, like be an information sponge, um, and then look for examples of what's good, and look for examples of how to do it. And if you can do that, like truly, truly. Anybody can put a story down on paper, um, and, and that's what I've taken from all this is that it's just been really therapeutic to um, to, to have these stories uh, kind of come out and, and to be cohesive. It's, uh, it's really, really cathartic and really enjoyable and something I hope that I'm able to do for a long, long time.
0: For sure, and then definitely I think to co- go along with that, it's like write. I remember when, before I was ever writing, like I used to hate writing papers, right? I <laughs> yeah, call, write. Like, it's Terrible writing papers. Writing journalism and my book is like completely different. It flows right out of you right. It's not just about being passionate about the subject matter or something. it's the the no deadline it's well, sometimes it's a deadline, but there's no deadline for the book, right the I'm writing an analyst article, and this is what is interesting to me. This is what I think about it. this is how it's interesting, obviously mm-hmm. for you're gonna have to structure things more for a novel, and I can look forward to that challenge as well. but it just do it write, find a blog. I mean, I've had writers that just wrote for me just to see how they how they did it to help them out because it's about yeah. writing. Just do the writing.
1: Yeah, it, it's amazing what a little bit of talent and a lot of work ethic can do mm-hmm. um, in any kind of writing industry because there's there's work out there. There's I mean, I, I do all this, but I, I also I do freelance blogs for small businesses, right? Like I. I write blogs for plumbers and landscapers and car dealerships and mm-hmm. uh, people that that want to populate their their websites with content that makes them appear as though they're experts. Um, but people that don't want to do the writing themselves. Um, and so yeah, it, it's cool to be able to like interview these people or to kind of get um, you know some notes from them about what they want to convey and to put their words into. Uh, you know, a format that looks professional and makes them appear like experts in their field and they pay pretty good money for that, right? There's yeah, like there's, there's, yeah, there's writing work out there. Uh it's just a matter of of putting the work to, to be able to do it well. So I just I would say that you know for me covering the NBA was a dream come true. To be in the same locker room that Michael Jordan was in I mean, I got to cover Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame induction, right? Like, I got to go to Springfield and I was there for that. I I covered the NBA Finals. I I covered the NBA Draft. I covered the NBA Draft Combine. I got to go to Las Vegas for Summer League a few times. um, And I was able to do, I mean, All Star Weekend, I was able to do um, all these sports bucket list things. Um, I met a lot of my childhood heroes, you know, at these things. I bumped into a lot of like random celebrities, you know, from from Coolio to Chance the Rapper. I mean, Mm -hmm. and and, uh, it's just it was such a dream come true to be able to to do that for so long. But you know, I got to a point where um, you know I wanted to write books. I got to a point where my daughters were getting to an age where I felt like I was missing stuff being gone on weekends to cover the NBA, and it felt like it was time to kind of move on, and and I did. And you know i don't have any regrets but i'll tell you what I, I watch the league now and how much fun it is and there certainly are days when i look back at it and i, I think you know it sure it would be fun to uh to go back and, and just hold a microphone in, in a scrum just one more time you know and so <laughs> so yeah so I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna go hang around chicago for all-star weekend this year it's it's in my backyard and see if i can't meet up with steve and with alex kennedy and some of my old friends from uh from those days and Grab a drink and and uh, be around some of the that week you know, hoopla for at least a weekend. But uh, in the meantime, like the books are keeping me busy, my kids are keeping me busy, teaching high schools keeping me busy. And to be honest, I've never been happier than I am right now.
0: For sure, and definitely, yeah. Just the whole ambiance of that, uh, yeah, for sure. Um, let's get a little bit deep here. I have a what makes a story compelling? What makes it worthwhile?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, I think what makes a story compelling is uh, stakes and not like medium well stakes. Right. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but like having high stakes. Um, that's definitely what I've learned. And, and as that, you know, it's interesting to read books after you've written a couple of books, it, it changes your whole perspective on, on what you're looking for. But um, the best books are the books where you read the first five to 10 pages. And um, you're so invested because the stakes for the characters are so high. Um, you know, there's, there's, I mean, there's a book I'm reading right now um, called Scythe by Neil Shusterman, and um, you know, it's about a future that's a utopian future where mm-hmm. everything is perfect. Um, and like, humans have just conquered every possible problem, including death, um, but population control is an issue. So there's a, a community of basically grim reapers that are called scythes. Um, who have to, have to like cull the population. Like that's their job is to, um, kill people at random, um, in an otherwise perfect society. And, um, these two high school kids are brought on as apprentices and only one of them is going to be a side, you know? And you get that in the first like 10 pages and you're like, well, cripes, you know, where is this guy? (laughs) I see what's going to happen. Like the stakes are so high And, and the stakes don't have to be death necessarily, that's a common kind of misconception I think with fiction is that like if someone's not dying, it's not a valid story. Um, you know, stakes can be a number of things, but I, I think you want to have like a character um, with, uh, with some kind of flaw and with uh, a story that exposes that flaw uh, in mm. the worst way possible. Like yeah. that playing God with characters and making them miserable, um, you know, right from the first pages. That's what draws me. And that's what keeps people hooked. I think are stories where the stakes are just so high.
0: I think yeah, based, going off of that, I think one thing that's really interesting about film and books is that a romantic comedy and a crazy action uh, world ending have feel like they kind of have the same stakes uh, and that you can create those stakes in almost any environment.
1: Yeah, sure. But the thing is, it's like with romance, you know, those rom-coms, the stakes are always going to be you know, being, being, being really happy, you know, finding true love. And, um, those are high stakes. You know what I mean? Like we all, we all know what it's like to, uh, to face rejection and to not know if we're ever going to find that special person in our lives Mm -hmm. or, um, and, and man, love—love love is high stakes. You know, people yeah. watch those movies because love is high stakes. Those freaking Hallmark Christmas movies, right? Yeah, I mean, those are—I mean—to to find the spirit of Christmas. The, those are high stakes <laughs> for for people that time of year. It's just—it's tapping into um, what's going to get people emotionally invested. You know, in in characters who, you know, don't have to be likable, but they have to have something massive at stake, and that, that's what I think creates—you know—good stories.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the things, the last one, the last big question here is the word expectations. So I was curious how expectations, I, would, I mean, we'll discuss this for a second here, but expectations in basketball, expectations uh-huh. in life, and expectations in uh, writing books, how those kind of interact, well, separately and interact together. Um, what do you mean by expectations? So, for instance, I'll, I'll start us off then. Uh, expectations, um, for instance, the only reason the Most Improved Player Award is even possible is because of expectations. Um, coach the year and then getting the coach of the year seemingly always getting fired is because of expectations. Um, trade deadline is even remotely possible due to expectations. Uh, we People getting their hopes up and expectations being dashed in life. And that is interesting to me as well as in book writing, right? It's the only reason that anything happens is because there's an expectation. And then I think almost books writing is that expectations being subverted is what creates comedy.
1: Uh, Not just comedy, but I think is what keeps people invested in stories, right? Like that's when you look at, um, you know, like in in horror, like some of the stuff that Jordan Peele is doing, Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's taking a genre where like we're, we're pretty sure we know, what horror is supposed to be at this point. Mm -hmm. But then you watch a Jordan Peele movie and you're like, that wasn't anything like what I thought that was gonna be like, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And and so when you subvert those expectations, as you said, like uh, that's a great way to do that. And that's true in all stories, you know? It's not just comedy, maybe. Comedy, I think you're talking about like, you know, it catches you up back to one thing and then something else happens, kind of like that situational irony or something. Um, yeah, that that is essential in comedy, but it's essential in um, in drama. It's essential in horror. It's essential in romance. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. there's just every story at this point has been done to death uh, so many times. So if you've got a story to tell, and truly, if you've got an article to write, um, you know about the NBA. This is something that I always had to try and combat: is how do I take a, a different spin on a thing that's been done a million times before, mm. right? Like, you know, Media people yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, it's just, there's so much saturation now. Uh, not only that, but you've got these kind of like tropes in sports journalism and in fiction that have existed for so long. And it's like, how do you take a, a formula that's been successful? And then how do you do something new with it? And that's, you know, the, the book that uh, I I have being shopped right now, the one that got me an agent, um, you know, I start I started my, my query letter to get an agent with, you know, uh, Wes Wheeler um, has a drunk mom and wants to go to college but can't afford it and has all these problems. And you're, in the back of your head, these agents are like, oh, my God, like I've read this story a million times. And then I say the second sentence is, and all that. All those problems are solved when he meets a 79 year old woman who offers him 150 grand in buried gold if he breaks her out of the nursing home and drives her back to her ranch in Colorado. What? <laughs> yeah, it's nuts, right? Because, and I I pitched that one live to to a few agents at a conference in Chicago over the summer, and and every single one of them gasped. And because because you've got a kid that's it's a coming of age story, but you're throwing in a wrinkle of like all right, well, there's a nursing home breakout and then there's a treasure hunt. And like, is that gold even real? And mm. I don't know anything. I don't know that, you know, this is all really interesting to me because this is not what I expected at all. Yeah. And um, I'm trying to write, write a book that's not just like a typical road trip book or a typical treasure hunt book. It it mixes a bunch of stuff together. And, and you know, based on the, on the synopsis, you would think it'd be a really serious, you know, drama type thing, but it's also funny, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I have characters that get into some funny situations, and 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 some what I think are, are fun little bits of dialogue and stuff throughout the thing. So it's it, it's a book that, like you said, like you have expectations for what something's supposed to be. I think any writer, whether it's journalism or whether it's it's fiction or anything else, um, like you said, to subvert expectations, to take something familiar uh, and give it a twist, so it's not it's not as familiar as people expect, or as soon as they think things are going one direction. You flip it on them um, in a way that feels earned, right? Like not just for the shock value, um, but in a way that works for your story. And mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's definitely a good piece of advice um, for, for folks that want to do those types of things.
0: For sure. I don't have any more questions. Joel, do you have anything else that you wanted to discuss?
1: No, I mean, I just, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and, and chat. Um, you know, for a couple years there, you know, Basketball Insiders had, had the podcast that I was able to host quite a bit mm-hmm. and uh, I loved it. I loved, loved, love. That was one of the things that I missed most about leaving was doing the podcast. So um, I'm tickled pink to be able to have the, the chance to come on and, and do a podcast and talk about basketball again. Uh, truly, this is my first time uh, doing any basketball journalism-related stuff in almost two years. So um, it's good to get back on the saddle, and I appreciate you having me on.
0: No problem, Joel. Why don't you plug your Twitter because people need to go follow you, and then we'll For get sure.
1: here. Um, I am at Joel. Brigham, J-O-E-L, and Brigham like Brigham Young.
0: Very good. I am at Eric Saar, Eric E-R-I-C underscore S-A-A-R and uh, please follow in, bath, uh, solarinsights.net uh, the, the, on Spotify all the all iTunes, etc. Make sure you follow and subscribe, etc. We're going to have more good guests coming up here. I'm continuing to Find more and discuss different parts of NBA and suns, and well I think we'll also probably uh, do some of those things more like today as well. Just try to branch out a little bit. Thank you so much, Joel, for your time, and have a good night, everybody.